Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I don't know how to do these intros for us, Cher. It's much more loosey-goosey, but you know them, you love them. It's Andrew Roebuck. Hello, hello, how's it going? Good. Well, let's just get one thing out of the way. You do a podcast called Triassic Park. I was on for, oh my God, what was something of the Yeti? (laughs) Something of the Yeti. (laughs) Oh my God, why am I suddenly forgetting the, oh my goodness, this is like my favorite, it's a Canadian movie, it's bad. You know, you don't need to watch. Oh, Yeti Giant of the 20th Century. Yes, that's what it was. Yeeti, the Yeeti. Well, I really liked it because I love Toronto. So as like a Toronto stan, I guess it was cool to see, you know, a monster movie not destroying New York, you know, for once or San Francisco. Yes, yes. That 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 is the one interesting thing about that movie. <laughs> well, just for listeners, because you are on this is the first cinematic attractions episode I'm doing since last Halloween, I guess, because we're covering Caveman, which I think does count as a creature feature in that sense. But I think. This movie, and I wanted to talk to you about it because Jurassic Park, I feel like is this movie was like made for you. I feel like. Right. That makes it, sense. Well, yeah. Well, because, yeah, because it is a very forgotten movie almost like this is not a movie that's talked about a lot, but it is a weird missing piece 
in a bunch of people's careers that I didn't really that I really didn't realize that actually does fill in the gaps of certain movies we have covered on Triassic Park because we did all of the Jaws movies and this movie is basically Jaws 2.5 because well not in quality but anyways uh, <laughs> but it's but it's directed by Carl Gottlieb who wrote the first three Jaws movies he also wrote the amazing book called The Jaws Log which is the greatest making of book of all time it had it w- the production designer joe alves he it was a production designer on the jaws uh one and two and then he directed jaws 3d he wasn't the uh, production designer for the whole time in this movie but he was for like a while dennis quaid is in jaws 3d <laughs> oh you're the- right oh my god there's another actress who is in jaws 2 who is like one of the one of the cave people and um, the person who did the mechanical effects, so like the uh, the odd time when they have like a practical tail on set that's like yeah. not animated, that was done by Roy Arbogast, and he is the person who designed the shark from Jaws. Wow, what a lineage! Yeah, and it's you wouldn't uh, know it. <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't know it at all. And it's just uh, it's all like this weird thing of like I know all of these names because I was doing all of this research on Jaws this this year. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like the weirdest point in history. Like, is this where Joe Alves and De- Dennis Quaid met so that he would later have him be in Jaws 3D? Like, I have, I have no idea. Triassic Park essentially, like in my mind, like that podcast is essentially covering the almost like, it's almost like speaking of Beatles, it's almost like how the Beatles came and sort of erased girl groups and sort of like, you know, British invasion and all that stuff kind of like in in some ways, maybe like ended the trajectory of like the sort of uh, late 50s, early 60s girl group stuff and like kind of took over the world. Like it feels like Jurassic Park kind of like cut the head off of the legacy of like the stop motion animated dinosaur and this sort of like Ray Harryhausen, uh, you know, one million years B.C., one million B.C. Like what was the other one you're saying this reference like land of um yeah when dinosaurs were the earth that was the sequel to one million years bc because i think they were going to call it like the, uh, like uh, one million and one years dbc oh but they decided not to or something like that um but that movie actually has animation and animators in oh, common yeah. with this movie so wow um yeah and um these guys all actually did work with phil tippett who uh is a really well-known guy because he was responsible for a lot of things (laughs) in jurassic park and also (laughs) one job phil (laughs) yeah exactly that's that's him but also like you know he also did everything with star wars right like phil tippett was like in charge of the stop motion tauntauns and and everything like that and um they actually worked with Phil Tippett in a movie called The Crater Lake Monster. Which, what? I love Crater Lake. Tell me more about this. Yes, it's actually it's actually set in the California Crater Lake for oh. whatever reason. Boo. Um, but <laughs> it's a terrible like plesiosaur movie where the animation is amazing because it's done by like all of these people and a lot of the people who who were in that, like I think David Allen was in charge of that. And David Allen did all the uh, animation for caveman. Well, most of the animation for caveman, he was like one of the supervisors and he worked with Phil Tippett on that movie. 
And Phil Tippett, in an interview, said he was animating the chess sequence in the original Star Wars at the exact same time that he was doing Crater Lake Monster. Wow. Crater Lake Monster is one is like a Z movie. Like, you know, there's B movies and then there's Z movies. And like Crater Lake Monster is one of like the worst, objectively one of the worst like monster movies ever made. I love it because I love the <laughs> trash. Oster the Grouch, that's me. Um, but he but he would go and animate some of that, and then he would go and animate Star Wars. And it's just in it wow. absolutely insane. Well, and and that's kind of my uh, you know, before we dive into Caveman, and it's funny because it's like there's this kind of rich legacy and this rich history surrounding what ultimately i feel like when we actually read the synopsis of what this movie is people are going to be like wait all that for this but um, (laughs) what is it about these kind of like because i think maybe i'm somebody who you know it's like jurassic park is is my guy my gal and so it's like i definitely have gone back and seen some of these movies you know but i've never really you know valley of guanji and like Again, one million years BC. It's like I haven't really sat down and watched a lot of these movies, which you think I would because I love dinosaurs. I love, you know, dinosaur movies and stuff. But it's like, what is it about this bygone era that you love so much? Well, for for me, I I pretty much so I started I started from very early age Jurassic Park, obviously, right? A lot of these movies are the results of things that Spielberg watched that are are these old movies. Like there's all these little elements from those movies that are brought in. So for example, yeah. Valley of the Guanji, there's an a shot where an Allosaurus takes out a dinosaur in like the exact same way that the t- that a, the t-rex takes out the gallimimus in the like stampede oh, wow. sequence in the first jurassic park and there's also a bunch of the movie the lost world was inspired by a uh, rubber suited monster movie called gorgo but 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 what really kind of got it into my head to kind of do all of this is I grew up loving Godzilla movies and like oh. old Godzilla movies. So there was like there was like a way to connect Godzilla and Jurassic Park and like these movies are what kind of connects them and creates the connective tissue towards two things I love. So it kind of kind of just uh, occurs naturally. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like I'm somebody who's wanted to appreciate Godzilla more than I necessarily have like I maybe have seen the original movie I definitely have more familiarity with the 1998 American version really more than anything else and you know they're not necessarily dinosaur movies but they're still like a form of creature feature that it feels like have elevated the genre from here here and there like the original and then I feel like I read a lot of great things about the more recent one that was like more about almost like, you know, what we all know too well, the breakdown of like government infrastructure and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That that was, that was like Shin Shin Godzilla from 2016. And yeah, that one is, that one won a whole bunch of like Japanese Academy Awards and was like pretty much the most highly, highly lauded. And, you know, I, I love those movies, but like, also, I love cheesy, cheesy. The rubber suited monsters are just <laughs> having a blast and having wrestling moves and 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 everything like that. Like, I'm uh, I'm I'm not too I'm not too good to admit that that is my real bread and butter. Um, but I, you know, you know that I like grew up on all those movies because like I I was like three years old and I was sick and my mom just like bought a random Godzilla movie from like uh, I think it was like from a discount store or whatever and was like oh. Scott dinosaurs he loves Jurassic Park 
Park, whatever. I'll throw this on. It'll just be a movie he can watch. And then it just became an obsession. And, you know, I I own all of the movies. I, I love all the movies. I own, like, tons and tons of books on them all. I do writing on them. So it's uh, it, it kind of, like, uh, is the backbone of the Andrew Roebuck story. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and um, I mean, just up front, I mean, I feel like you definitely did a lot more quote unquote i mean not quote unquote you did research you we, we you looked for a book you know what i mean like yes um uh, which i which i i did find but i it's getting mailed to me so i had to like literally contact the publisher and he was like oh well i have a few in the back i'm like all right fine send it to me i'll, I'll just incredible i will paypal you the money please please just send this to me um but i was only able to find volume one volume two is the one that actually has caveman in it so uh, uh, unfortunately i wasn't able to get that one i mean i i appreciate it so much and it's funny because the there's a sequence in this movie that i love to death um it's essentially like the scene where music is invented by cavemen right yes i i think because i've watched this movie a couple of times i don't even remember i honestly don't remember how i saw this i think i saw it in college because i just don't think i would have discovered this in high school i don't think my blockbuster would have had this but um so i had a very specific memory of this movie and so re-watching it i sort of I, it was kind of very different than I remembered. I feel like there's kind of two distinct halves to this movie. I actually think it comes together really wonderfully. But um, the the thing that I was going to say um, is that it's almost like watching this movie now feels like watching like a scary movie, but you've never seen the Scream films. And right. so, you know, I, I really I, I love the fact that you actually did watch the inspiration for these movies because that's my thing i was like looking at this movie and it was like released in 1981 i'm like well the one million years bc remake was in 66 the original was in the 40s like who was this made for in 1981 you know yeah it's a very it's a very weird weird thing because it is a very direct parody of one million years bc and the the original which is just one million bc because down to the language right they they have like fake languages in those movies um down to the fact that one tribe is like more like aggro and and like mad men and the other tribe is more like peacing peace loving and smart intelligent kind of thing um yeah. and that's kind of what the entire basis of of that of this movie it, they, they do a lot different in this movie because it's a comedy right but the the base element of this like people someone gets uh exiled from a tribe and has to join another one and it's all very much a parody of these these movies and and one of the things i saw i was re- like the uh roger ebert review of this is like this is a parody of a genre which has never worked on screen um, oh, no. <laughs> which i was like well i mean I don't, I don't i don't think so i think um god i love roger ebert uh, i do too he, he he knows how to destroy a movie like yeah. especially one you love uh well this movie anyways um but um one million years bc which is the remake of the, from the 60s i think it's 66 that's the harryhausen one that one is awesome. Like that one has amazing effects, is really creative and has a really interesting story. And I think the story actually has a lot of nuance in it, even though it is kind of a, a just like a weird, silly, silly movie. And it's one of those things where the poster is actually way more famous than the actual movie. Raquel Welch. Yeah, with the Raquel Welch poster because i believe that is the one from um shawshank 
um, when he, yeah, so in, in Shawshank Redemption, there is a poster from one million years BC that is what he uses to cover up the, um, the taking out all of the stuff. Like he hides it behind, uh, the escape tunnel behind a poster oh, yeah, of Raquel Welch from that movie. And that is way more, um, relevant and popular than the actual movie. But I think that movie has, ha- has some good thing to it for it. Um, the original 1940s is literally a lizard snuff film. Uh, <laughs> never watch it. Yeah. That's, I, I appreciate the heads up. Cause yeah, I was recently on Dustin Grawick's Dino 101. Uh, the series, he transitioned over to doing a Friday night kind of adults themed dino nights and things uh for atlas obscura and so i was a guest on one where we kind of talked about the history of uh dinosaurs in cinema but a lot of the early ones we were kind of like you know it's like a, a horn like a horn glued to an iguana and it's like i i appreciate the heads up right now uh, and you know because i might not watch it <laughs> yeah no but here's the thing you've definitely seen the footage because that footage was reused in over 25 other films whoa and it's always the exact same footage. It's always the two animals rolling around. The one with, it's like a, it looks like, I, th- I think it's a caiman. Like, I don't think it's a baby alligator or a crocodile. I think it is a caiman fighting a, uh, I think it's a, a gila monster. And they just kind of roll around for a bit and you see the gila monster die. Oh, That's no joke, awful. by the way. You you see the gila monster <laughs> die and it's terrible. But the that footage was used in about 25 other monster movies all well, of which all i will eventually have to watch for a trial oh god <laughs> well i mean it feels like this genre uh you know the the sort of before jurassic park dinosaur movies it seems like they're almost made to be playing on the background in another modern dinosaur movie <laughs> like you right, know almost yeah. like show the contrast because the science and you know the the way that the dinosaurs are represented are you know entirely inaccurate now so it's almost like it's it's a weird genre to sort of have become, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, I'm only just starting to think about this stuff. I mean, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot and right. it, it's, it's it, very strange, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, Ray Harryhausen is the reason why, um, some of those movies really hold up and are still really fun to watch because that man was probably the most talented special effects artist ever made like that ever lived because he would do the modeling he would do the like creating the armatures and he would do the miniature sets and the animation. Wow. And, um, you know, for this movie, for example, uh, it started out where Jim Danforth was making all the designs and people like David Allen, who is another famous uh, animator, uh, was, you know, doing the uh, actual animation. And there was another person who was building the sets and doing the matte paintings and everything like that. And, you know, that makes sense because that's how movies are made. Right. You expect there to be a whole bunch of people working on these things. Yeah. But all of the Ray Harryhausen movies, especially like his Sinbad movies, are so incredibly low budget that he was doing everything like even optical effects which are incredibly different and a whole different ball game in terms of effect sequences so he he didn't have any help really there was (laughs) until 1981's clash the titans in which 
This, which is the movie Jim Danforth walked off this movie to go help him with. I think that was probably a better choice. Uh, it was because he was like, because he had he had um, worked on all of the designs for this movie and like all the, the models and everything like that. Um, and he only animated about one sequence. Uh, and then basically there was too much studio interference and he was like, screw this and left. And then basically David Allen was like, uh, OK, I guess I'll take over everything now. Well, yeah, it seemed at least on Wikipedia, they kind of boil it down to like he wasn't going to get it was supposed to be a co-directing credit and he didn't get it. So, well, yeah, because like he 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 would direct all all of those scenes where they had to deal with effects. So Jim Danforth actually directed a bunch of this movie, but he didn't animate it uh, because he, he left before the animation process. So he so there are movies when uh, sorry, there are like segments when the T-Rex is like chasing Ringo and uh, <laughs> getting high and all that stuff. And all of the human elements were directed beforehand, but they had to have and be directed by the person who was going to do the animation so that they knew how to interact and what to do and what not to do so it would be easier for like the map processing and stuff like that isn't it funny how it almost seems like we're back to that at this point it seems like any kind of story you hear about marvel and even star wars it's like the you have the director who's there for the actors and the people the the talking sequences but then it's truly like the visual effects teams that are kind of almost directing those sequences it kind of feels like we're going back around to this sort of style of filmmaking yeah yeah it's a it's a, it's a very interesting interesting process because you know i i bet you every single marvel movie probably has about 20 directors and that's probably putting it on the low point especially <laughs> some like avengers endgame the amount of special yeah. effects that are in that like you probably had like entire teams that only animated one character and then the oh, end yeah. of that movie is just insane and they would they would have directed how that character moves and interacts and and, and does things right yeah, well, and and to tie this to Caveman, um, Randy Cook animated the, I believe it was the when Ringo feeds the <laughs> Ringo's coming yeah. into contact with a with a T Rex, which is really the only quote unquote accurate dinosaur in this movie, which is not saying much. But Randy Cook is to me, I know him because he worked on Lord of the Rings and the troll sequence in Fellowship was their sort of Ray Harryhausen homage sequence, and so. I know him from that and it's just like such a funny lineage that's sort of like he got his start here. Yeah, he of... also did like the storyboards here too. Which oh, wow. Is, oh wow. Yeah. So like yeah, so he storyboarded and then animated it and like uh like all, a lot of these people were pulling double duty on this film because especially because the uh people in charge kind of uh went in and out and in and out uh, so many times because there was a lot of controversy <laughs> making this film. Well, yeah, let's 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 not beat around the bush too much uh, longer. But essentially, Caveman stars Ringo Starr. Uh, let's see. I mean, the plot on Wikipedia is is perfect. You know, it's, uh, you know, a caveman. He's like the underdog. And, you know, he's I mean, it's very, you know, well, I, I said this to you before. I was like, this reminds me of freaking like Animal House or like Revenge of the Nerds. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's very it's... much. And, and Animal House came out in 78 and then Revenge of the Nerds actually was 84. So that was after. But I mean, Animal House really kind of like set the mold for those kind of those kind of comedies in the 80s. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, like it's it. Ringo is basically a caveman and he's like the underdog and he's trying to get the hot girl, you know, Barbara Bach from 
you know, the, the, you know, the bro caveman leader, uh, John Matsutsek. Is that how you say his name? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but he is a uh, football player. So yeah, football yeah. fans, they probably oh, know. He was Sloth and Goonies. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. This guy's great. I love him. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, this, like, this cast is great. I mean, Dennis Quaid, and it's his first movie, I think, so, or something like that. So he is immediate. Like, he, I don't know how many movies he made, but he's the MVP of this movie. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say nobody made me laugh more in this movie than Dennis Quaid. And I, I really think that we maybe are robbing ourselves of some really good Dennis Quaid uh, comedic performances. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's done some in movies that I just skipped because I was like, what? Dennis Quaid? Comedy? I've never watch this and now i'm like i need to watch that <laughs> no yeah yeah i mean and uh shelly long's in this and like oh, she's so good yeah and and it's this very just you know sort of uh underdog story like the the, the tribe of the underdogs which is basically like yeah, the cavemen are all like Neanderthals. And then it's like the the ragtag baseball team is, you know, that Ringo is leading. It's like we can just point this stuff out now. It's it, it, watching it again. I was like, wow, there's it's I mean, there's a whole sequence where Ringo Starr is basically trying to, like, have sex with a sleeping Barbara Brock, like basically drugs yeah. up yeah. Um, John Mitsukit's character and Barbara Brock's character. Like, it's just very again, it's that I it's like that revenge of the nerds kind of like, I mean, for lack of a better word, rapey, you know, like it's. Oh, just yeah, very... it's it, it, it was surprising because like the rest of the movie is relatively not that mean spirited. Yes. And this particular joke was just incredibly mean spirited. Um, it makes me wanted to wear a shirt that just says Lana did nothing wrong. So yeah. I don't know why we're why we're uh, at the end of this movie we're supposed to cheer when she gets like pushed into uh a- animal dung and i'm like atuk you're the villain you're the villain atuk anyways well, <laughs> and i think that's why i draw the comparisons to something more like animal house or more like right. um revenge of the nerds or or you know porkies or any of the stripes it's like where in a weird way when you go back and watch these movies you're like well tonda who is john um Matsukit's character like I, I mean, he's not, I mean, he's a, t- he's a, a firm, but fair leader. Like, I think he wasn't, he wasn't that bad of a dude, you know? He's better than the leaders of the tribe in both 1 million BC and 1 million years BC. Like, he is a much better oh, leader than, than the movies that this is parodying. And like, he, the, the, the one thing that he, that he does do is he kind of like, you know, he leaves Dennis Quaid's character behind, right? But you know, this is like a tough world, right? Like, the idea is that like, if somebody can't help you, you can't like bring along people who are injured or whatever but other than that like he at that one point he quote unquote steals the women but it's actually just him rescuing his girlfriend and probably thinking that all these other people were also stolen by <laughs> at duke this yeah, evil no, man. Really. yeah no and i mean it's i mean in the beginning they kind of make him out to be cowardly because the chameleon creature is oh my like God. coming after them and he's like pulling them out of the tree but yeah it, i i really felt like rewatching this that there's kind of almost two distinct parts to this movie where it's almost like you they almost like have to make a which is ringo Starr's character like they have to yeah it's got kind of more of a mean-spirited energy at first but then it sort of lightens up and becomes a much more it just becomes like a honestly it comes kind of becomes like a Monty Python movie really by the yeah. end with the with the 
the the when they go back to the nearby ice age you know and like it it becomes much more um and the giant egg that they fry and eat a giant that was so good that was amazing that was one of the best scenes because like it was one of those scenes where it's like you know doing special effects comedies are really difficult um and i think there are segments of this movie that actually like manages to uh meld the two really well and like that was one of them where it's just like this giant hard-boiled eggs and all these guys are like hanging out in the egg and like getting the the yolk everywhere and and i thought that was that was so fun and such a fun idea so uh, i was really impressed yeah again we're not necessarily going to go beat by beat but it's it it feels like this movie has two distinct parts but the second half feels more like a series of vignettes you know like lar who's dennis that's right dennis quaid's character's name yes yes um like he gets swept down the river and then he has this whole thing in like the nearby (laughs) ice age and then they have to like and then they all the characters find him and they have to unfreeze him while the other where the cave monster is also like being unfrozen and it's it's very like scooby-doo you know yeah yeah again that that cave monster actually was a pretty decent practical effect uh which i was really impressed at this is a movie where i actually think the uh effects team were better Comedians than the writers in some cases. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, the because there's the chameleon and then there's the T Rex, which are kind of they're the two so, main dinosaurs. They're so good. So okay, I have I have some fan theories about okay, this. Okay, okay, I'm on me. So this is like super nerdery. But one of the movies I rewatched for this was one of Jim Jim Danforth's first movies called Jack the Giant Slayer, which it itself is a ripoff of Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, which is the first big Harryhausen adventure film. So in that movie, he animated uh, he animated uh, segments, but he wasn't the sculptor and the sculpt. And he had a lot of criticisms of the sculpting job. Uh, it was one of the first uh, sculptors done by uh, Wa Chang, who was like a very famous sculptor and does a lot of really cool and great effects work. But this was like really early and the the effects look rough. But one of the most striking things about those early effects are the eyes and i feel like he got a lot of the humor from the eyes that he made for this movie because he didn't like how the eyes looked in one of his very first movies that he animated (laughs) so i almost feel like he went back and was like oh yeah this is why jack the giant slayer looked a little goofy i'm gonna like use that element and extenuate that in my uh actual comedy version oh Um, yeah i mean truly like there's moments with that and the t-rex where they're like cute and funny and menacing and like the moment where like they catch like the pumpkin on the nose of the chameleon i loved it i loved it apparently that wasn't even supposed to be a chameleon at first by the way i mean i don't know what to call it because it's not a dinosaur no no it's just a horned lizard like in the script it just said like a a a horned lizard and like the carl gottlieb who like was writing the script he literally just intended a triceratops but he didn't write triceratops so Jim Danforth was like, oh, yeah, I'll just make a lizard with horns in it. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Um, And I like maybe he was thinking he was making a joke about one million B.C., the 1940s one that does have just horns on animals. So maybe he thought that's what the script was making fun of and like was using more uh, intelligence. But apparently that Carl Gottlieb saw it and was like, oh, man, this is so much better than my original idea. And I was like, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think having a goofy giant lizard was just added a a level of uniqueness to this film yeah i think it's to me other than again the music sequence 
that really like stays with me and makes this movie kind of worth watching in that sense. Yes. But I, but I feel like maybe the whiplash of experiencing, experiencing this movie is never more crystallized in the fact that. So yeah, the, when the movie opens, it says a zillion years ago, October 9th, which is John Lennon's birthday. Oh my God. And what? John Lennon. So this movie came out April 17th, my birthday, although I wasn't born yet, April 17th, 1981. So this movie came out less than seven months after John Lennon was shot and killed on December 8th, 1980. And it's just very strange. And, you know, in this movie, obviously, stars Ringo Stars, Beatle. Oh my goodness. And so I just find the, the sort of mental encapsulation of like thinking about all of that. I don't know. It just kind of breaks my brain a little bit because it's like, ah, uh, you know, in honor of John Lennon, who was shot and killed. And then it's like, you know, um, oh, my God, what's the uh, we're going to what's the word for sex by the oh, cavemen? Zug, 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 zug. You know, it's just like literally it's an hour and a half movie. Like this isn't a shorty. This isn't like an 80 minute. No, creature. this is an no. hour and a half. Like and, the, you know, literally there's no dialogue. It's just caveman. Well, caveman except, language, except for Nuke, the the yeah, one uh, a- Asian member of their group, which I, which I guess was like a racial comment, although it didn't feel like it in the movie. Uh, it, maybe it was intended as it, but I was just like, oh, this character is just really fun. Like I, I thought the the actor who did the the character of Nuke was just like a great performer, and I just like really immediately bought into him uh, speaking English, uh, perfect English, and I thought it was really really funny actually. Yeah, Evan C Kim is his name, and yeah, he's the only person that can speak english and so there's a scene where like everyone's make you saying all these like fake exasperations and he's just like shit and it's so funny <laughs> it's so funny and i i don't know why but i love the capture capper to the first scene with him where he just goes fine zug zug like i don't know what it is but like his again there's a lot of uh line deliveries in this movie that i think are just really really good uh and really stick out with me uh one of which is being uh dennis quaid being like bobo which also has is the same scene and i i just love that so much yeah so i have the because apparently um where was this uh oh i thought it said where it was but apparently some audiences got a like pamphlet that had it like it's almost like to me it's almost like oh god when did uh david lynch's dune come out dune was uh 84 um so the caveman did it first caveman did uh, it first caveman did it first uh, yeah because when uh david lynch's dune came out they had a glossary of terms that came with when you watch the movie oh yeah and you need that glossary of terms if you've never read (laughs) dune by the way i recently watched that movie and was like what is happening anyway i've never seen it but i'm curious but yeah do you have the caveman language thing up in front of you Oh, sorry. I figure we could we could um, for the rest of this episode, we could, you know, our audience might need, you know, our list, you know, the listeners might need a couple of these terms to understand this complex narrative, you know, of course. How how (laughs) else are they going to understand what uh, puka means, which is broken (laughs) slash pain? Yes. So let's see. The uh, Alunda means love. Bobo means friend. (laughs) Haruka, I think. Haruka. I don't, think they, I don't think they use that one too, too much, but uh, the other one they use all the time, which is matcha, matcha, matcha. monster, I <laughs> means help. <laughs> I, and I like, yeah, means yes. Like, what? 
And nia means no or not. Uh, Ul means food. I mean, there is a lot of eating in this movie. Yeah, uh, that's, that is fair. That is fair. Pu- yeah, puka is broken pain. Ugh means like. Oh, wow. There's so many people on Twitter who like me. Wow. I didn't know. They were saying <laughs> ugh, but it just means they like me. Damn. Zug zug means uh, sex. Basically, or like, okay, but it says slash mate. Like I don't know. Oh, if they mate thought. as in mating. I, I was like, as yeah. in a mate, like a noun. <laughs> but they mean the verb mating. Yeah, I just think it's really funny because you know that was like a studio message. You're like, okay, we can't just put sex on the pamphlet. You have to say slash mate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just had such a weird time rewatching this movie because I just feel like I remember so much about the. I just remember so much about the back half and sort of. Yeah, just was like, oh, yeah, there's a whole sequence where he like because I mean, this movie, I think watching it for the first time, you know, and I kind of had this experience because it had been a long time since I watched it. And a lot of times like this is the kind of movie where every few years I rewatch the music sequence, you know, just out of context, like on YouTube. And then it's like, but I think anybody who's going to watch this for the first time, it's like you. I, I, yeah, I feel like the beginning of the movie doesn't. It, again, it's this kind of animal house thing where it tries to set up. Atuka's like this kind of, you know, sort of nihilistic underdog, you know? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, honestly, comedy is the one, one of the things that is the the thing that dates the worst, um, especially in, in this era, right? Like 70s and 80s comedies can be real tough to revisit, uh, especially in a modern context. But then it's weird because if you go really far back, like Charlie Chaplin stuff always works. But it's that weird <laughs> once they once they add dialogue and start doing more adult humor, uh, it can be pretty bad uh, depending on who's writing it. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think like, looking back a lot of 80s movies it's like all these nerds who had a chip on their shoulder and all they did is just want to get them it it was sort of i think maybe our first indication that like the the beta male like the nice guy isn't as nice as he thinks he is you know right like that about this like yeah because it's one of those things where it's like uh you know you kind of think back on your own life a little bit when you are like and you're like man like you can kind of see how these uh these like nice guy dynamics are so prevalent in in everything because movies like would show it to you and you always go you always go like oh like is this where like i got some of my like cringy college life like yeah Yeah, i mean it's yeah it's a it's it's a it's interesting from a cultural study, especially like just kind of trying to figure out where these ideas kind of entered the pop culture and the zeitgeist and where where fuck boys began. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. A toque is like on Reddit all the time, you know, because like... <laughs> I mean, I don't think you really needed it. I think like Ringo Starr has such, you know, beautiful, sad blue eyes that like you don't need to like. I don't know. You don't really need to overcompensate. I think like we would have just got it, you know? Well, yeah. And you could have just done like, cause his relationship with Dennis Quaid's character is just nice. Like, right. Like yeah, Lar, kind of the heart you know, of the movie really. Yeah. And Lar is just like a likable dude. And I really think you could have just gone with having like somebody who's kind of like Lar at Lar's character being like the lead. Like you could have had Ringo Starr be Lar, like more like Lar. And I think the movie would have aged a lot better, but you know, I think the other thing we had both talked about podcasting together about was the Transformers movies and this <laughs> yes. notion of like the nerd wanting the hot, you know, quote unquote hot girl. But it's also just as misogynistic because it's like 
he doesn't care about her as a person. He just wants to like beat the bros to get the hot girl. Right. Which is again, a big dynamic of part of this movie. So much so because they're just so shitty to Shelley Long. So like, she's so, and she's so great. I like. I was really liking, uh, liking Shelley Long in this movie, and like, I was immediately like, "Oh my god, am I in love with Shelley Long?" And like, yeah, Tala. Yeah, Tala was so likable, and like, I was immediately like so enamored sweet. with her, and she's so sweet. And then uh, they just treat her like shit until the very end of the movie, where we're supposed to be like, "Oh great, he's finally stopped being an asshole." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it, it's that thing where again because it had been so long since I actually sat and watched this movie. I forgot. Like, I kind of just thought the movie was going to end with him getting back with Barbara Bach and then like, and or like kind of winning a Barbara Bach as a trophy. Uh, So I was like relieved, but at the same time, like if I was Tala, I'd be like, fuck you. Well, yeah, that would that see that would be great. Just Lana and Tala just walk off together and like fuck all of you. We're gonna start our own tribe, and it's gonna be amazing. Well, like at least fill me in on the stunt, you know, for dramatic effect. Where it's like, I mean, it's it's actually pretty funny in that regard. Like in this sort of the meta way at the end of the movie when Atuk beats um, Tongo Tango tango uh, <laughs> uh, uh oh my god what's his why is he doesn't have a wikipedia what's happening oh my god no that's yeah. funny uh oh john uh, matsuka as tonda that's so oh, yeah, weird tonda. in the cast list on wikipedia he's like a, he's like near the bottom middle <laughs> what that that is so weird <laughs> so insulting wikipedia you know after he gets defeated he basically like wins lana and then he like and then there's the like inauguration like american like <laughs> and he like lifts her up and it's like lion king and then he throws her and then he well and on and when doing that he basically just ignores the shit out of tala and like it's this whole stunt and then he th- throws barbara bach in the animal dung and then he's like, no, but Tal, you're my real gal. And it's just like, you could have told me that before I would have like, like wanted to fucking jump off a cliff because this person <laughs> I care about literally has just been so shitty to me for this entire movie. You know, it's like right? those kind of dynamics, you know, that like, well, yeah. definitely think don't hold up. And also, like, I don't think Lana, like, like, you know, usually in these movies when they like make like a like a, 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 ta- a quote unquote attainable mean girl, like that's kind of like what a lot of these like movies do where they just be like, oh, you're hot. You must be mean. And it's like, no, not true, by the way. There's many, <laughs> many nice hot people. Uh, most of them are. Um, but uh, it, it's one of those things where in this movie, though, like Lana didn't do anything that could even be remotely considered wrong. Right. Like even from like 80 standpoint, because she didn't like really like do anything evil well, she's or with Tonda. Mean. why would she get with you know yeah Atuk? yeah like she's she and she looks like she's happy with him too right like it's not yeah. even that like she's like she she enjoys being with him it literally seems like and they have like a an actual like a nice relationship so it's just like a very very weird thing that we're supposed to be like oh yeah lana is in the dung and i'm like i don't there's nothing like there's nothing in this movie that turned me against lana she kicks him once right near the very very end like that's oh. about it oh no yeah no oh, it is no. funny where it's almost like the this sort of flip side to this story is that like yes this guy is like a firm but fair leader and it seems like the 
the tribe is doing well. And then Atuk is sort of just bored and sad and probably too smart for his time and decides to fuck everything up for everybody. You know, like how many people, <laughs> how many, uh, how many of their tribe were eaten because Atuk decided that one day he just wanted to have sex with the, with the King's wife, you know, like yeah, in that yeah. regard, you yeah. know, uh, you, you know, I wonder if he even knows what to store for the winter, right? <laughs> like, did he do, did he do any prep? Like what does Atuk know? I know the sequel is like, and then everyone died. Well, at the end of this movie is then they lived happily ever after. But I feel like five minutes later, it's like, well, I don't know. I guess he he is like, you know, he is shown to be sort of like, you know, the the um, the Donatello, you know, uh, like he has inventions, <laughs> you know, uh, they show it. He doesn't invent fire per se, but they sort of imply that. And then, um, you know, he's got weapons. He he has fruit because they eventually drug a T-Rex. But like. You know, he basically just like takes a fruit, opens it up and then puts this like fruit that makes you pass out inside of it. You know, it's like that's his like ingenious move, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I, I want to see uh, Ringo Starr paint his face like the Joker, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> he just next time he's like a, a toque when they do the a toque special edition like caveman special edition he's just got like damaged across his forehead yeah, exactly. like his suicide squad <laughs> no he has um he has uh uh he has puka across his oh. broken <laughs> yes yes that's a great joke yes um <laughs> yeah I, I mean you know again I, I, i'm definitely somebody where it's like you know, and I think people listen to this podcast. It's like this thing where it's like you can analyze the stuff that you watch and you can, you know, still enjoy things, but sort of understand and sort of, you know, pull things apart. And, uh, you know, it it's being able to have a, a you know, a discussion about these right. things. And these things yeah. are made in a time and place. It, it, you can't just have like, oh, this is just a fun, dumb cave movie. Like, it's just there's a lot more interesting things going on. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Right. There, there is a lot. There's a lot going on in this movie, and there's a lot of context you need to put this movie into. Right. Like you know, I, I'm sure it just, it just seems like a crazy random movie if you're just in 1981. And you have no idea about these prior 
caveman movies, right? Like there's a lot of context to this and it did have an important uh, like element in, in science fiction and like the way that they're doing uh, special effects, right? Because this is one of the the last big time uh, stop motion special yeah. effects, right? Because like they'd, they'd be slowly uh, edging these out in, in the course of the 80s, but um, it, it really is like the culmination of really, really good special effects yeah. um this is some of the best stop motion that, that you'll ever see to be honest with you it's uh especially in, in dinosaurs i i almost kind of wish there was a more just conventional uh stop motion dinosaur movie made in the 80s because it really would have probably benefited from the the amount that they had kind of uh gone forward but i think this movie this movie uh, kind of flopped, and I yeah. think that it kind of affected the amount of dinosaur movies that were in the 80s, to be honest. Yeah, I wonder if this this sort of created a vacuum in kind of an environment where, you know, this movie wasn't great or considered great at the time. And so that combined, you know, to no fault of the special effects, which are a highlight of this movie, but it's sort of... You know, I mean, just the way people are, it's like it doesn't matter if the special effects are good. If the movie isn't good, it sort of sours every, the whole pot. And so I wonder if that really created an environment where Jurassic Park just seemed even more revolutionary in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know uh, David Allen, who did the effects, I, I think about this time period, he, he really moved into low budget movies after this. Like, I think this is one of the the last movies with a, a sizable budget before he kind of went into like the uh, direct video horror movies, uh, working with Full Moon Entertainment. And, you know, there there are some really fun. Full uh, Moon. Oh, my God. Prehistoria. Oh, oh, past yeah. past um, Cinematic Attractions episode with Luce Tomlin Brenner. Check that one out. Yeah, that that one is great. I love that episode. Um, uh, thank you. In that uh, time period, uh, you know, David Allen was the go-to stop-motion guy at Full Moon, and I think uh, I think it, I think probably started mid '80s, but yeah, I think that had a big big effect. Um, and I think I bet you this affected what Jim Danforth did afterwards too, because he he would he pretty much was just screw this entire system. He kind of left the studio system to work with Ray Harryhausen, and if you watch Clash of the Titans. Jim Danforth is the one who animated the the Pegasus, uh, which is one of the, the all of the cool. Pegasus sequences are Jim Jim Danforth uh, animation, um, and 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 Clash of the Titans. That was the last big Harryhausen movie, like the last final grasp of Harryhausen going all out on his special effects because the the, the world of Star Wars was coming in and and sci fi was taking up more big budget spots than um than it old fantasy yeah well and, and to tie that to the point the original point i was thinking of that i forgot i find it very interesting that in these last couple of weeks of the mandalorian there uh people have been really highlighting the fact that they have started using stop motion animation again the um you know the ships are practical the um moff gideon ship the razor crest those I'm sure probably the slave one is as well. And then the oh, I can't remember what the Trask, I think, is the name of the planet. The uh, Bryce Dallas Howard directed episode. Oh, uh, Mandalorian. Yes. Uh, the, her second uh, directed episode on Trask. They have these 
they're almost like repurposed ATATs that have that are like cranes. Oh yeah, um, and those are stop motion animated. So it's oh really? I had no I had, I I had no idea. I had no idea about any of that. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was seeing this on. It's it's cool because you know all these people like you know I we spent the first part of this episode really talking about you know the people involved in the that in those kind of sequences. I wonder how they feel now. Like, do you is it this sort of thing of like okay, like people are appreciating my craft again. But like, it's the same business that pushed them out, you know, like, I wonder they are like most of them are are in their 80s. Like they they are they they are really old, older people like this year is the hundred. This year would be hundred the hundredth birthday of Ray Harryhausen. Wow. Um, So there was a lot of really cool Harryhausen stuff that that came out this year and I've been buying it all up. But yeah, these uh, these people are mostly uh, you know, not working in the field anymore. Um, Phil Tippett is really one of those, one of the last people kind of like holding on and still doing stuff, right? We're out of a job. Don't you mean extinct? <laughs> Which, of course, is the famous line that, wait, did Phil Tippett say it to somebody or did somebody say I, it to Phil Tippett? I can't remember. Off the yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember, story. but it's such a great, it's a, such a great story. But, but yeah, like, cause, cause like Phil Tippett, I think he was, he, I think he was the young guy in, in those original uh, areas era of stop motion so he's he's still working but he mostly does digital effects now but you know one of the things that makes uh you know jurassic park's digital effects work so well is that they were designed in a way the same way that they did uh stop motion effects because there's a lot of character and a lot of heart and a lot of uh special ways of staging stop motion characters and they they used a lot of that for those early cg jurassic park stuff so yeah, I mean, you can actually see these stop motion or what they call them go motion sequences like you can watch them on YouTube and maybe I'll include the link to them online, but you can see all that stuff. It's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah. And go motion is right. You're right. You're right. I, I always call it stop motion. But, you know, well, after, I mean, after a point, it was go motion. I, I think they were just trying to like hype it up for like well, it's, it's extreme that, stop motion you know like to well, me when i hear the word go motion it sounds like no there's a very there's actually it's, it's actually like a, a step up from stop oh, really? motion okay. because See, i don't the, actually know so this because you know uh it, it makes uh it, it was a, a a process that made it less jittery stop motion oh, interesting because you know in, in the basic stop motion um you know every frame is like a new uh model and a new pose like a slight edge to it and you know if you watch like a a a movie when you if you just pause a movie you can see stuff like blur and stuff like that when people are moving right and that's like the the actual movement uh sequential movement can sometimes in a single frame if you stop it and that's like a blur in old school stop motion because it's literally just one frame one little part and a picture 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 there's no blur or anything like that so some of those older movies uh it the 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 motion um does not look as fluid and um it was it phil tippett did come up with go motion and that's the reason why a lot of the tauntaun especially in like empire strikes back you can actually it moves in a much more fluid pace um and uh, I don't know the exact uh, elements uh, of that process. So it's one of those things where I, I'm really excited to kind of eventually dig in. But it is a significant uh, improvement to stop motion. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't I, I felt like in the, you know, because I'm mostly familiar with this just in the context of the, I think, equally iconic making of Jurassic Park with James Earl Jones. And it was very much in this way of like, 
it, it you know, because they're framing it around, you know, because it was made after the fact the movie's a success. So it's framed as a sort of the last gasp of stop motion. And then. Right. So I looked up the I looked up the apocryphal story, basically. So, you know, Steven Spielberg was going to get Phil Tippett to do go motion. And then um, ILM's team was like, hey, let, let's try this. Let's try this little thing called CGI. Um, and so the sort of apocryphal story is that, you know, there's this group of people at Steven Spielberg, Phil Tippett's there watching the CGI footage. And then Phil Tippett turns to Steven Spielberg and says, I think I'm extinct. And that Spielberg ended up being like, we should throw that line in the movie. And that is like, so, that is so awesome. That is so awesome. But I mean, you know, I, it's funny because it's, I think maybe Phil Tippett was the right age to sort of, you know, his craft wasn't, well, again, I mean, like, like I was just saying before, it's like the Mandalorian is using stop motion um, again. So it's like, you know, it's almost like you hope for some of these folks, like, who kind of get pushed out. It's like, you hope that maybe they can find a second life. Like Phil Tippett did as like the dinosaur supervisor. It's like, he had a lot of, he has a lot of craft and experience that like really helped the, the animators, the digital animators, like kind of bring a grit to the dinosaurs in Jurassic park, which I think is why it holds up. Yeah, exactly. And okay. So yeah, so I looked up go motion just to kind of get a better idea. So in order, they simulate motion blur and they use that by like using like only like the slightly exposed each frame. And then they also use like petroleum jelly to kind of like put that over the, <laughs> like over the lens. So it like there's blur. So it actually looks like it's more like seamless movement. So it's not that it's, it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. <laughs> so it really I, is just a, uh, uh uh, a way of sprucing it up, really. Well, yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite Star Wars facts from A New Hope was that in order to make the land speeder look like it doesn't have wheels, they basically just smudge jelly on the bottom of the frame. Yes, yes, I love all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I mean, now we're just obviously Caveman's a fun movie, but I think as we're diverging away from it, I think it's fine because have you seen the Mandalorian finale? Yes, yes, uh, I have, and I, uh, this is uh, all of this is less uncanny valley than I felt during a scene in that movie, that, that finale. Well, but see, my question is, I think people are going to have a soft spot for this in the way that you know we have a soft spot for practical effects. I think that's I, true. That's I, true. I, I mean, obviously, I have my own, you know, my own opinions about how things work and how well they work for me. I mean, I'm somebody who's story first, so. I think yeah. you have to get over kind of technical stuff sometimes, or, you know, you just have to look the other way a little bit. Again, but um, Again, I come from a love of old dinosaur movies. Yes, I, I am the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just wonder, it's like, will somebody have a soft spot for like, you know, in 20 years, people who are like 10 and are now kind of like our age, they're going to be like, oh, I miss the sort of uncanny valley CGI face replacement you know um yeah digital I, body I, double sort of stuff that we kind of you know we don't have any we it just seems weird to us we don't have any connection to you know right yeah no uh yeah that 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 could be the case because i imagine by that time everything will be so photorealistic there won't be as much fantasy involved because one of the things that they talk about in so for uh, uh one of the things they talk about with stop motion is you always it always looks fake but it feels real 
and um, CGI looks real, but can feel fake, um, which is which is a very interesting way that some people look at the kind of the history of stop motion versus CG. And I imagine, uh, you know, in like 30, 20 years, everything will look incredibly photo real so the fantasy might be gone a little bit and and there's like a that that uncanny valley or whatever that we feel now it might even it might have this quaint feel because you can still be like oh wow it's like it's it, you you're not in the moment you're in a fictional moment kind of thing yeah I well know. i mean it's the same way that we you know when i look at a new hope i just love you know the sort of slap together grit of you know oh it looks like somebody's making a home movie you know out in the yeah country, you know well, like, and and really that's what it was really yeah, it's so, really, in so many cases like is i i love the making of especially star wars 1977 because nobody knew what they were making and they just did whatever they're like oh we got a we got a rare wolf uh yeah put it in there it's at the bar <laughs> like oh we got a, a weird devil. hand a weird <laughs> yeah. hand creature that looks like a bloody stump that's an alien <laughs> that's an alien and i love all of that stuff so yeah wait i need to find out what the name of that bloody stump creature is <laughs> the bloody stump creature it looks like a bloody stump to me Ooh, dice ebagon yes in our in our star wars obscure bingo for this episode Oh whoa! That thing does look like a bloody stump. I don't even right? think I've I've watched that movie so many times. I don't think I've ever like looked. I've registered that character, but he's literally the one talking to the werewolf. I guess my mind, my my like, yeah, uh, my eyes are always drawn to the werewolf, and I always miss him. <laughs> Justice for Dice Ebagon. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's let's get his story. I, anyway. Um, if anything to say, it's funny to think that this was three year or four years before Caveman. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and it's and, and it's wild, right? And that's the reason why you don't have Phil Tippett on this 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 movie because he he was with IM, ILM because he worked with Jan Danforth and David Allen like on the Crater Lake Monster, but also um, like a whole a whole bunch of stuff because he was part of the I believe it was, I think it was Alliance Entertainment was what they called the, the their stop motion uh, studio back then, and he and he was a part of that. So <laughs> that just um, makes me think because you know i um i've briefly worked in in the visual effects industry a little bit when i first moved to la and you know there's only so many films being made and you know i had friends that worked at rhythm and, uh rhythm and hughes you know like during all that whole controversy where they were being filing for bankruptcy and laying off hundreds of staff as they won an oscar for um oh my god what's the tiger in the boat movie oh uh, uh, life of pie Life of Pi, like as the film won an Oscar that same week, Rhythm and Hughes like filed for bankruptcy and laid off like 300 people. It was crazy. It's a crazy story. I hope they make a movie about it one day. But it makes me think that like, do you think like, okay, so well, Empire Strikes Back came out in 80, so that wouldn't have been a thing. But I guess this movie is probably yeah being made in 80. Do you think some people like who wanted the extra gig jumped on the caveman after they finished Empire? Or do you think it was a thing of like, Oh well, I guess I'm not moving on to make Return of the Jedi, so I got I got to do Caveman instead. But maybe Caveman seemed like a cushier gig because it was a big studio project. Yeah, you know that there's a lot of uh, of interesting uh, uh, things because I I do think though I think that because I think uh, Lucasfilm uh, once that really got started, they really kind of they kept Phil Tippett in that that room. So I wonder if everyone who had a job there just stayed there for a while. Well, and then also we have to remember Indiana Jones. Well, I guess there, of course. there is some stop motion in Indiana Jones, right? 
Oh yeah, those faces melting are 100% stop motion <laughs> and haunt my and haunt my every waking nightmare. I want to talk about the music sequence because I feel like I've been saving the best for last in a way. Yes, um, yes. Can I can I can I bring uh, the second best for last? I want to talk yes. about my favorite joke. No, so no. my my favorite silly joke is the the back cracking joke. I don't it's just it's just very very silly and I I really love it. Well, for me personally, I actually wrote in my notes I wrote, this is a good movie for chiropractor freaks. Like, I don't know if yes. you know, Andrew, but there's a whole subculture of people obsessed with chiropractic on YouTube. And it's oh, like, a, no. it's like an ASMR thing. I actually do enjoy it. I enjoy it. Like, I've only been to a chiropractor a few times. I would actually go more, but I'm sometimes I get spooked out by it. But yeah, there's like a whole subculture of people obsessed with back cracking. And I was like, there's got to be like a caveman ASMR backcracking compilation or something on YouTube. If not, I should be, I guess I should be the one. Yes, you should do it. You should, you should make all of their dreams come true. I love the, the backcracking. I think it's kind of, it's like a funny, cause again, this movie, I, I think the one thing this movie does well, it plays with those notions of like, I guess the traditional, I mean, cause yeah, it's obviously like cavemen and dinosaurs together. Like this is an historical epic or, you know, and it's a parody on top of that. But I think it, I think it, if anything, it does well, it's sort of kind of, I don't know, this like idea of like seeing the evolution of man in real time, almost like, right. I, I don't know what exactly it's saying by doing all this stuff, but I, f there's something about it. I, I, it feels good to me. I don't know why, like the idea that like you could just stand upright by cracking your back, you know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's just a, it's a, such a simple, silly moment. It, well, and then also the way that like, again, um, Tonda is like a good leader. Like he sees that in, in, uh, Atuk and, and that, and, you know, the misfits, which is so funny. Cause I'm looking at this like full on, like five page synopsis of the movie that taught the talks it out <laughs> on IMDb and, and, and they call Ringo's group, the misfits and they call the, uh, Tonda's group, the hostiles, which I'm like, oh, I that's they're... not necessarily true. Like Tonda, like he probably went around and cracked everyone's back and now they're all standing upright. And, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I find myself sympathizing with Tonda and Lana a lot more rewatching this. Yeah, no, for sure. I, and one of the, one of my favorite jokes is how hard it is to crack Tonda's back. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. They have to pile on him. Everyone's piling on him. And like that, that was just like such a simple, but I thought like a really, uh, really fun joke that was like, again, there's like an innocence to this movie that is kind of lost with some of the mean spiritedness. Yeah. I, I think it, it, it kind of fades in and out of the movie. And I feel like to yeah. me, my, it seems like our favorite moments are kind of the middle of the movie where it is just sort of a, a slapstick vignette Monty Python-esque uh, comedy, you know? Oh, yeah. But yeah, my favorite part is in the part that really has stuck with me over the years. I believe I saw this in college because I feel like I watched this on YouTube. I don't know who was digitizing Caveman on YouTube in 2007, but um, <laughs> uh, let me I just want to read the synopsis. Because, um, again, this is the point where, again, it's these misfits coming together. Uh, lightning just struck a tree and. There's like fire and then um, they're they try like they're trying to there's like this kind of play with like how Tonda is so strong. It's like a giant Flintstone style like um, wing that he like is able to break and feed his, his tribe. And then Ringo is like struggling with like a chicken basically or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
and they like but then they hold it over the fire so it's like the first time people have eat cooked meat and so yeah this is the part of the movie which again this happens a lot earlier than i thought too but you know they kind of to get the tribe together and then they kind of go on all these like random misadventures but the newly expanded tribe enjoys a hearty meal around a campfire todd drinks from a gourd and sighs with satisfaction and Ta is like he's like the seth rogan of this movie really like in a small role oh yeah Uh, he's just kind of like around a lot i feel like he's memorable his face is like i feel like his moments are memorable where like like later in the movie like they're all digging in piles of shit and he's like doo-doo or whatever (laughs) um, he gets like crushed by the giant pterodactyl egg but he's like fine but he's like ah yeah Um, i thought you know there was a lot of uh there are some punching down in this movie, but I thought they they really just treated him like a, a normal member of of the of the tribe, and I, yeah. I really enjoyed that there were not jokes at his expense. So like he was he was awesome. Yeah, no, no, he he definitely has his moments. So yeah, the newly expanded tribe enjoys a hearty meal around a campfire. Ta drinks from a gourd and sighs with satisfaction, inadvertently blowing into the gourd. The air makes a pleasant sounding noise that amuses the tribe. Ta starts to blow into the gourd and with a steady rhythm. The tribe members quickly pick up bone pieces and stones, picking out a musical tune and creating man's first band session jamming into the night. Ooh, the synopsis was written by. Who was it written by? Nope. nope. You. It was IMDb, written by I guess. you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could give you credit. Whoever took the time to wrote up this, like literally beat by beat synopsis of the film. That is that also is like it's it's, it's poetry. It rhymes to, to quote the Star Wars meme. <laughs> I mean, do you think that they just had the sequence because Ringo was in it? Probably, but well, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't find a lot about the the script writing for this movie because I'm not sure how early in the script writing process Ringo was involved. Yeah, but I mean, I can't imagine that's not the reason. Like, it had to be like, <laughs> oh, Ringo stars here. Uh, they invent music. Yeah, he invents music. Na 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 na. Like, this is my yub nub. You know what I mean? Oh like, god, I yes, love this. I yes, love this melody. Yes, so good. Okay, a fact that I can only like this is the only place it'll fit in. There, so in the very first movie that uh, Jim Danforth and David Allen made together, a movie called Equinox, which from 1967, oh, yeah, yeah. which I watched. Doesn't, wait, that has a Criterion Collection, right? Yes, it does. I was I watching think I've that seen today. This. It's a crazy film. Um, but uh, in the commentary for that, which I was watching today to get more information, um, the one of the director of that movie, it was director of the writer. He said he missed the Beatles playing. Uh, I, I think it was like a, a, a big concert. Like he, he had tickets to the Beatles that he had to miss to film the movie Equinox, which just made me laugh because I'm like, oh, I mean, Jim Danforth and David Allen then went on to to work with one of the Beatles and you didn't. That must feel shitty. Oh, again, it's I think like what you're saying, it, it's this movie where weirdly a lot of the craft from. Not below the line, but like. You know, but I think like the actors and I think the animation team were having a lot more fun than anybody who was in charge of this movie. Yeah, I I, I would I would definitely agree. And I mean, I wonder if anyone's ever asked Dennis Quaid about this movie, because honestly, he seems like he's having the best time. No, I mean, you got to imagine at some point, like, because again, like if you if you just pop this movie, like if you just turn it on at like a random time, it's like insanity the idea that everyone is just talking and like you know like yeah uh, you know it's like it's it it's just this sort of like 
yeah, it's it's nonsense in a way. But I feel like everyone, like especially watching Shelley Long's performance again, like everyone is like has bought into it. You know what I mean? It's like the it's like a weird improv movie, you know? I mean, I agree. And like, obviously, it was uh, pretty uh, successful and must be well remembered by Ringo because this is when him and Barbara Bach met and then they got married <laughs> soon after. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's wow. Like, it's Where like did a, you meet? On the side of Caveman. <laughs> Yeah, she was actually the one I threw into doo doo. <laughs> yeah. So um, I mean, that's caveman. I I don't know if there's much else to say about it. I I I mean, I, like you, I think it's been fun to talk about the sort of world around that was happening at the time, and then sort of the uh, the way that it is sort of a culmination of what came before, and then sort of fell on its face to sort of create a world that you know that exists after in a way and right yeah exactly i think i think that there are at least 30 to 40 minutes of like really good stuff in this movie um it's it's just uh unfortunately there are a lot of stuff that, that that doesn't work but i do think that we have talked about and there are stuff that that works and i think this movie is well worth remembering if if for nothing else than uh the amount of craft that went into it and the amount of fun yeah. that people had i mean look somebody's running away on fire and they're farting and it's causing little explosions <laughs> behind them like what come on uh, I, I laughed i laughed I'm not too like, good to say I did laugh. But you know, the dinosaurs look incredible. Like when the when the T-Rex gets like stoned and then oh like lays God. there and kind of like rubs its belly and it's like like it's like it's so happy. Like it it just like it was almost like which that movie wouldn't come out till seven years later, but my neighbor Totoro. Uh, like I know it's not there's no connection I mean maybe there is somewhere well, who like knows? Gonna, who once knows? you dig through these books and you find some weird Miyazaki <laughs> quote about watching caveman on a plane or something Wait, I, guess, I don't know if that would have happened then but like it's just like there's just that moment of like the like co- he's got a like the T-Rex in this movie is like 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 thick Snorlax vibes and I love him <laughs> I do man him and the and the lizard man I would die for both of them I love them so much um, also uh, that sorry I the last thing I want to mention just before I forget that apparently that liz- the scene where like uh, Ringo is riding the lizard was crazy hard to do because it the looks top really half yeah it does because the top half is just Ringo and the bottom half is animated um, which is which is like a, a really interesting uh, uh, way to do it and apparently it took a lot of pre-planning to do it and it was a, one of the highlights of uh, the effects teams they were really proud of it so yeah I mean the, really like and you have Tonda like pulling him off you have people yeah. coming up to him you have the tail um, there's a great shot in that too where you see from the perspective of the oh, lizard, yes. the, the chameleon or whatever. Yes. You know, and it, I love that moment. I was like, this is, you know, because I'm not as familiar with these, you know, the, the movies that sort of inspired it, that sort of era. Um, I was like, have they ever done like a POV from like a stop no. motion creature? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, that's cool. Honestly, I don't think so. Like, I, and if they did, it's been, uh, it's in the rarity. It's not, it's not a common thing to do. And uh, it is really inventive what they, what they do with perspective in that scene is specifically. Yeah, no, this, that, yeah. I mean, that's what we're saying. Basically the music sequence, some of the chiropractor jokes and Shelley Long, Dennis Quaid, um, and you know, I mean, Ringo, I mean, he's, he's he, Ringo was perfectly suited for this movie. Basically, yes. you know, it kind of fits his personality really well, as far as like 
this is just like a fun movie to be part of. You know what I mean? It's not trying to accomplish anything too much with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I love Ringo Starr, so always seeing him uh, just brings a smile to my face. Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun. Again, Andrew, I really appreciate all the all the reading and research. And so I feel like I feel like even if I I mean, I didn't ask you to do it, but I feel like I was like, I know Andrew's going to this is your wheelhouse, you know, which is why, you know, um, I really want people to check out Triassic Park. Um, you know, is there any particular episodes or anything that you think are like good starters or or because, again, the the amount of research you do is really impressive. And I think it's just really cool. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, by the time this episode is out, um, hopefully our King Kong series will start. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, that would be a great starting point. Uh, if that's not out yet, um, go to go to Jaws. Uh, Jaws was probably one of the one of the best ones as, as well, because I thought I thought uh, the amount of detail and amount of uh, discussion we had with that film was uh, was really good. And I think that entire month I, I, I'm particularly proud of. And uh, hopefully King Kong can follow suit because I have bought in a whole bunch of out of print books. So I'm just <laughs> waiting for them to show yes, up. Yes. Yes. This research. This is what we're talking about. I love it so much. Yeah. So, yeah. Where can people follow you on social and the podcast and everything like that? Yeah, so you can. Uh, I also do another podcast called Milkshakes and Mimosas. You can follow us on Twitter at mpodcastm. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Wine Movie Nerd, uh, along with Instagram and all the other places. And uh, yeah, the podcast is Triassic Park. Dana, okay, <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong era. Um, no, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and. I mean, again, it's been a minute since I'd done one of these cinematic attractions, but, um, you know, it's the holidays and I kind of just wanted to watch a fun movie. And so thank you, Andrew, again, for for wanting to be game for this. And yeah, uh, see dress right on all the things, you know, you know, you know where it is. Um, and yeah, if you want more of these, I mean, you know, this this was kind of like started as like a in-between thing and then it just kind of went away. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, but it, it doesn't have to be regular. It's just anytime I want to watch something. I know Disney's. Disney Plus is putting out Dinosaur, the sitcom on Disney Plus soon. And I'm like, yes. I might have to watch it for this. Um, I'm terrified, though, because I those eyes, those, <laughs> those eyes of those creatures. Oh, well, and just to end it, just to round it out, I haven't seen it yet and either of you, but I we watched the primal or I, I watched it for the first time, the primal trailer, which is the Gennady Tar- Tarkovsky animated series, which I think now has had two seasons. He created Samurai Jack. And he also worked on an early anime, like a 2D Star Wars uh, cartoon that's really great. And oh, yeah, he, that one's it's so this, good. It's, a, it's like a caveman and dinosaur thing. It, I mean, it's literally like the gritty reboot of caveman, basically. But, yeah, um, basically. <laughs> but I I mean, it's I heard it's horribly violent, which is kind of exciting, you know, because it's like it's kind of that metal notion of like, wow, you know, like dinosaurs and a caveman and like, you know, <laughs> like it's just very like it would be on the cover of like a metal album. But I just really hope that Gennady Tarkovsky slipped in like a scene where maybe that caveman character is like walking by another tribe and there's a fire and you just hear like it would just if I saw that I would just pass out from happiness it would be amazing oh my god that has to happen now that has to happen come on Gendy come on (laughs) get it together all right thanks everyone
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.